This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Solutions, the leading iGaming PAM platform with a modular approach, including many benefits like a fast, secure, and scalable API-based platform integrated with all major third-party products and services. Make sure you head over to Pragmatic Solutions and join our smart thinking. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Play, an industry-leading content provider of slots, live casino, bingo, and virtual sports. Pragmatic Play excels at creating an immersive, engaging, and mobile-focused experience for players with over 200 HTML5 games that are available in all currencies, 31 languages, and all major certified markets. Discover more at pragmaticplay.com. And good afternoon, good afternoon, Anton Severin of uh, the American Gaming Association. How are you doing today, my fellow Swede? I'm doing great. Always, always uh, great to be uh, talking to a fellow Swede. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So I can see in the background here, you're live from the, uh, from the U.S. state uh, capital. You're uh, uh, <laughs> always uh, close to the action, the American Gaming Association. So, uh, so it's, it's great to have you on here today, Anton. And obviously, you're the uh, director of uh, research here for the uh, American Gaming Association. And uh, I'm really curious uh, today to kind of create a discussion together. What is the, um, what is the latest trend in, in American gaming, both online and land-based? Uh, what are the current priorities for the American Gaming Association? And, uh, and just generally to understand where the industry is uh, heading. So I wanted to just kind of kick off today, Anton, by, by asking you, what, what are the current priorities for the American Gaming Association today? Yeah, uh, no, certainly. Uh, great to be with you, Pierre. So there are a couple of issues that are kind of topping our agenda at the moment. Uh, I would almost say that that um, you know what we talk about most at the moment is the need to really drive out uh, the the illegal markets, drive them out of the business uh, over here in the U.S. Um, it's really the biggest uh, threat to to the industry, in particular. The, the, the quickly expanding uh, sports betting uh, industry over here. Um, you know, as we've seen over the past few years in, in the wake of, of kind of the, the Supreme Court decision that opened, opened the door to, to a legal expansion over here. Uh, alongside the legal expansion, we've also unfortunately seen this, this uh, um, you know, these bad actors uh, taking advantage of, of the excitement and, and all the demand that's out there for 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 sports betting uh so you know it's always hard to kind of gauge uh, the the size of an illegal market but we are seeing for example looking at, at search data that uh searches for illegal sportsbook brands uh are up significantly last year they those searches searches uh, grow grew uh, about the same as, as searches for legal books so uh, so we're really looking to states and and, uh, and uh, lawmakers to strengthen the laws and regulations and, and close the loopholes that, that exist and, and that erode regulations and, and permit uh, unnecessary consumer risks. Um, so so we, we're trying to see uh, increased enforcement there at the federal and, and at the local level. Uh, in addition, uh, you know, uh, leading on responsible gaming is always um, our highest priority and, and a business obligation that we, we continue to grow, uh, especially now in tandem with, with the expansion of sports betting. Uh, as you know, the industry is very committed to making sure that uh, we have a sustainable uh, relationship with, uh, with the customers. Um, and I think that that's really paid off over the, the last few years. You know, we, 
we do a lot of research, a lot of polling uh, here at the AGA, and uh, among other things, we, we do an annual survey of, to gauge uh, kind of Americans' attitudes uh, towards gaming and towards the gaming industry. And we've seen there that, that um, kind of uh, people's belief that the, the industry is committed to responsible gaming has increased substantially in recent uh, years. Uh, like last year, it was up uh, 40%. Uh, compared to, to 2018. Uh, and we know that like three out of four uh, past year gamblers are aware of at least one industry RG resource. So, uh, so the in industry has put a lot of time into it and, and that's, that's you know, paying off. Uh, people are, are getting the message and, and we continue to put it out there. You know, AGA, uh, we have, our, uh, have a game plan, uh, responsible gaming consumer education campaign. Uh, where we partner with uh, sports leagues and teams, but also operators uh, to kind of um, educate consumers about uh, some, some key, uh, you know, strategies to, to uh, uh, sports bet uh, responsibly. Uh, and that's certainly, you know, gearing up now with, with kind of like the, the peak in, in U.S. sports betting coming up with the start of, of, uh, of the football season uh, in, a, in a little while. Um, and then also uh, September is coming up, which is uh, Responsible Gaming Education Month. Uh, so look out for educational opportunities and activations from the, from the AGA throughout the month of September. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, Antonin, you mentioned in the beginning here the um, illegal market and your um, efforts to, uh, to curb the, the illegal market. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting... It's an interesting point, and obviously on the European side, uh, this is what um, many regulators are battling against uh, as well, to find this uh, middle ground between regulating the industry, uh, you know, keeping marketing at bay, but also understanding that uh, you need to give the operators leeway in order to, uh, in order to, to not make the illegal offer uh, too attractive. Um, can you talk a little bit more to... Uh, the size of the illegal uh, gambling market. You mentioned here in SearchWise that it's um, around 50-50 between uh, kind of the illegal offering and the, uh, the regulated offering. Uh, do you have more indication of the, uh, the channelization in the US market? And uh, also, what is the strategy from AJ's perspective in order to just uh, curb the illegal gambling market? Like, what do you think should be done in order to, to curb the illegal gambling market in the US? Yeah, so so you know it's it's inherent within the problem here, uh, the difficulty in measuring, uh, you know, how big is this this problem really, and we can only right. kind of try and get to it um, uh, through these uh, you know secondary channels. So, so one thing right. is yeah, looking at search data, uh, um, as you or you know as as we uh, mentioned before, um, you know searches for for illegal sports betting. Uh, Brands were up, I think, 38% last year, which is, you know, on par with searches for, for legal sites, 36, uh, which was up 36% uh, over the previous year. Uh, but we do see, uh, you know, a, a big difference there between states that have legalized sports betting and, and states that haven't. I don't have the exact numbers right. in front of me, but uh, I think illegal sites were on average... Um, uh, the illegal uh, searches for illegal sites constituted uh, between 60 and 70 percent uh, on average there compared to less than uh, or lo closer to 20 percent uh, in, in legal states. Um, you know, so, so 
that's an indication, especially when it comes to, to states that haven't yet legalized, like how the, the magnitude of the challenge there. Um, then also we, um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, we did a survey of sports bettors where we tried to get a sense of, of kind of the migration happening uh, among bettors from, from legal or sorry, from, from illegal sites to, uh, to legal ones with the, uh, with the, uh, the legalization of the market. And uh, what we saw there that was that um, more than half of, of past year sports bettors at least partially uh, bet with uh, illegal uh, unregulated sites. So, you know, we gave them a long list of, of various brands and, um, and, and yeah, more than half of them, uh, uh, you know, selected the, the offshore ones. Uh, and we even like we prompted them, uh, you know, told them like, okay, hey, do, were you aware that, that you are at least partially, uh, you know, playing with uh, using unregulated sites here? And, and the vast majority of them, uh, I think it was closer to 80%, were, were surprised to learn that. And especially since, since about three quarters of them are, are very eager to, to use only, uh, only legal sites. So, wow. um, and, you know, there were some other numbers in there that that's substantial share of them, like even thought that, uh, you know, gambling with your corner bookie was was uh, was legal so there is a big uh there, there's still a big uh task there for us and for the industry as a whole to to educate people um to help them find the the legal avenues um but but yeah the the, the magnitude of the problem is uh, certainly substantial uh, but hard to to uh, gauge exactly uh how big yeah, really interesting. So it's, it seems to be an educational uh, issue more than anything that like through education, you would be able to presumably move people to the legal uh, offering just by making them aware essentially that uh, uh, these sites are not regulated and, and here's the, the regulated offering. Uh, the, that, that seems to be like mm -hmm. the, the, the key takeaway from the research here. Yeah, and, and not only education of, of consumers, right? Like, if if consumers don't have an avenue to uh, to bet on sports uh, right. legally in their site, then you know what are the options? Maybe in some cases they can cross into neighboring states uh, and place their bets there. But if they're you know far away from from a state border or in a part of the country that hasn't gotten that far, like they they don't have any legal opportunities. So. Yeah. In addition to educating consumers, um, we also have to educate the policymakers and decision makers to to raise awareness about this problem, right? And and both, you know, help them, uh, you know, create uh, an environment that's that might allow uh, consumers to better legally, but also to to uh, you know root out the the bad actors. Right. Uh, so take the state of New York, for example, which is uh, a high profile state that legalized uh, earlier in the year and uh, obviously bordering uh, New Jersey, bordering uh, Pennsylvania. And the, there was a lot of uh, uh, crossover between these, uh, the, the, the consumers who went over state lines in order to, to play legally. And at the same time, obviously, there would be a portion of these uh, consumers who would play on the uh, um, on the unregulated offshore off offering, um, do, do you have any insights on how the, the how the player behavior changed after the regulation came into effect? Uh, the, the, in terms of uh, um, in, ter in terms of uh, new players, in terms of players who used to play across state lines who now played in New York, and, and also in terms of players who moved from the um, uh, illegal offering into the legal offering. I don't know if you can give more nuance there. 
Yeah, so, so you know, New York is, is still a very green market, only been operational for, for a little bit over half a year. So we don't yet have any, uh, you know, hard data points on, on that uh, kind of migration. Um, yes. But, you know, certainly, um, uh, you know, for you, you mentioned the, the kind of crossover that that's kind of been assumed and, and, and alluded to in some places, like how many people are crossing uh, state borders. Um, you know, there, there, there ha it has been suggested that about 20% of all betting activity in, in New Jersey uh, was coming from, from New York residents who were crossing over, placing their bets, and then, right. then going uh, back home to, to New York City again. Um, you know, so if, if the New York market was truly, you know, competitive, uh, having created a, a, a structure that could, you know, offer a, a, a as competitive a product as possible that could, you know, compete like not only with with the New York, New Jersey offerings and, and in other neighboring states, but also more importantly, with could compete with the um, with the illegal offshore uh, offerings. Then uh, we would perhaps see other uh, trends in the data than we we are seeing. So, for example, you know, uh, New Jersey has come pretty far in, in terms of maturity. So. Uh, we could have expected a kind of drop off in in, in betting activity in New Jersey. Uh, however, that is not what's what's showing up in the data. Like in fact, in in the first half year of 2022, uh, betting handle in New Jersey is actually uh, up almost 20% compared to the yeah perhaps 20% you could have expected disappearing if if New York was truly competitive. Um, similar thing in in Pennsylvania, you know, in in the other end of New New York bordering Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania as well is up uh, by similar figures, uh, nearly uh, 20% uh, year over year in, in betting handles. So, uh, so there's, there's st still certainly challenges that remain there to, to create a, uh, a fully competitive market. Yeah. Interesting, Anton. Thank you for that. Uh, I, I want to jump over to the second point that you mentioned um, of the uh, priorities within the American Gaming Association, which was uh, the responsible gambling. Um, you know, we, we are we, we started this podcast by greeting each other as you know fellow Swedish uh, here, and, and uh, so we will probably both uh, know and remember in the early two thousands in Sweden. Um, uh, sorry, in the early two thousand tens in Sweden. Um, very aggressive marketing from the operators uh, led eventually to a backlash from the uh, from the from the public. Uh, who uh, kind of crucified the industry in the uh, in the late 2010s uh, that then led to kind of the overregulation uh, you could argue in in Sweden and the market is what it is today um, in the in the US uh, so far and I'm, I'm just kind of speaking my own personal kind of subjective opinion here um, the, the, the this seems to be almost an um, identical uh, re-emergence of this of this aggressive marketing push uh, in order to sign up as many players as possible from uh, from the operators uh, without perhaps uh, too much focus on the responsible gambling. Uh, are, are you worried that uh, this could potentially give uh, a backlash to the industry on the online front uh, in, in the long run in the United States? Or uh, do you have a different perspective on this question perhaps? Yeah, but I don't know if I would would characterize it as you know RG taking a back foot to to the advertising. You know, in, in some regards, they they kind of go hand in hand, right? So I, I mentioned our have a game uh, plan uh, 
public education campaign that we're running. Uh, you know, we're partnering with, uh, you know, entities like, you know, new, the large New York sports teams like the Knicks, the Rangers. Um, here in Washington, we partnered with you know, the Capitals, which is you know, next door to where we are sitting. And, and, you know, together we are, you know, as we're seeing this rollout of, of sports betting, uh, you know, consumers are, are being, being made aware of, of uh, these offerings through, you know, uh, all sorts of advertising, certainly. But uh, in tandem with that, we, we also, uh, you know, strongly stress the need to, to engage with this new activity in a, in a responsible way. And as it, as it relates to, you know, advertising more broadly, you know, look, we're still in the very early stages of of, of the rollout of, of sports betting uh, and, and even earlier when it comes to iGaming over here. Uh, I mean, Europe, Sweden ha has kind of um, seen this uh, transformation of the market over, you know, two decades uh, period. Like it was only in 2018, you know, where the first legal sports betting offerings outside of Nevada appeared. So, uh, you know, there is certainly uh, some expectation that that the, the current you know levels of advertising that you see in certain places will kind of uh, subsume as as this initial rush to uh, to you know uh, attract cons consumer uh, you know subsides and you know we talked about New York before like there's already some early signs there with uh, I think it was BetMGM that uh, some uh, months back announced that they were pulling back on their investment in in advertising there so. I think it's too early still to to kind of draw uh, strict parallels to what's happening over here towards uh, what's happened in, in Sweden or in, in other uh, European markets, but um, time will tell. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough, Anton. Uh, another, uh, just uh, changing the topic uh, a bit, uh, on the European side of the um, industry, traditionally it's been very difficult for the operators to unite uh, towards common purposes. Uh, on the European side, we don't really have great representation uh, within the industry. We don't really have like really strong industry organizations. We have obviously great organizations like the EGBA uh, that is representing um, a couple of, of uh, the major players here on the European side. Uh, but other than that, there are mostly local industry organizations. Sweden has two, you know, Finland has one. Denmark, Germany, Netherlands, the UK, and so on. Um, but but it seems to be difficult for the industry to unite on the on the European side. Uh, in contrast to that, obviously uh, the American Gaming Association has done an incredible job over the last couple of decades uh, in order to uh, unite the uh, the, um, the, uh, the the operators uh, towards uh, common goals uh, that uh, that you then uh, rep represent and, and uh, you then lobby for. Um, but it must be difficult to uh, to align all the members towards like common goals. You have a quite um, diverse uh, membership base uh, from different uh, players who want perhaps different things. Like, can you talk about like uh, the challenges of getting everyone on the same page within the industry, and um, like uh, how do you go about the priorities that you set in the organization? I mean, for, yeah. for example, uh, sorry to finish the point. I mean, the, the move from being uh, from being focused only on land based to also uh, to also include the the digital part of the industry was a big shift, uh, right? A strategic shift within the American Gaming Association. How do you get all the players on the same page? 
Yeah, I mean, firstly, you know, I think, you know, having, uh, you know, different opinions on certain issues is kind of, you know, inherent to, to any trade association, uh, regardless of, of what industry uh, you're in. And, you know, uh, like all other trade associations, we try to focus on, on you know, complex set of issues that, that individual uh, member companies can't, uh, you know, act on alone necessarily, and that requires consensus and, and um, uh, coalition building. Um, and you know, any association's positions uh, gonna, you know, reflect compromises of the assorted views of, of the membership. Uh, but we certainly uh, work with our boards and, and our various committees to to try and find and define uh, what should be the, the AGA priorities uh, and agenda going forward. Uh, and you know, key key is finding those places where we can find common ground and uh, and where we can push the industry forward. And, and uh, while at the same time, like stepping stepping to the side where where uh, members have uh, competing interests, uh, basically. When it comes to this, you know, change in in the membership. Um, I mean, our membership reflects really the the diverse makeup uh, of the U.S. Uh, gaming industry. So you know, whether that's online retail. Uh, suppliers, uh, operators, or, you know, we have commercial and tribal operators, which is dynamic that's not present in, in Europe uh, at all, right? So um, with that change, like, it doesn't mean that one group is, you know, dominating another, like, not surprisingly, like, our membership and their priorities have evolved over time to kind of reflect what's going on in the industry. So, yeah certainly like currently we're at the point where where uh, many gaming companies are moving increasingly uh, more towards an omni-channel approach and and um, when it comes to to their interactions with with their consumers uh, certainly a lot of that was you know driven um, by covid which really kind of took that to the to the next level and really upended like how people work and, and are entertained and, and and play and so that created new baselines for for a lot of industries like including ours but that doesn't necessarily mean that that our traditional you know brick and mortar casinos which kind of aga started out uh, representing um playing a smaller role like uh, they are still you know very much uh, a core of, of our industry um, you know if you look at revenue like those uh, revenue from from those um, physical uh, locations still account for like uh, more than 80 percent of, of, of all revenue um, but I mean like there's a lot of excitement on that side as well about this kind of transformation and the opportunities that digitalization like uh means when it comes to uh you know consumer interactions like people can't be at the casino all the time and now there's a way to to engage with with their consumers uh you know whether they're at home or, or commuting to work or at a sports arena or or, or any other um setting really so so it's really like you know these kind of changes like um and factors they, they really complement each other and, and um so I think going forward, there's certainly, you know, uh, room for, for every sort of vertical within uh, the work that we do. Great, Anton. I, I think you mentioned, uh, so you mentioned that around 80% of the total gambling market right now in the U.S. Uh, is derived uh, from uh, land base, essentially. So, so about 20% is, uh, is online currently. Did, did I yeah. understand it correctly? Yeah. So, yeah, so, exactly. Could you talk to a little bit uh, on the latest numbers on that front as well? Like how how is the um, uh, how is the, uh, the the commercial gambling revenues uh, uh, 
currently evolving. I, I saw on, on your website that your juice release kind of the Q2 numbers, or at least from, from May, I think you reported from at the moment. Yeah, from, like, from Q2. Yeah, can, can you give a little bit of a breakdown on how the gambling revenues are, are currently? Yeah, no, certainly. So, so yeah, it's, it's timely, uh, timely recording that we're doing today because, yeah, we right. just kind of wrapped up the... Uh, the season of, of uh, regulators uh, reporting their well, June revenue number. So, so with that, we now have a full picture of what Q2 uh, looked like. And right. um, so what the picture that is emerging is that um, after a, a red record-setting 2021, uh, commercial gaming, uh, which is what we have most, most current numbers from, has really carried that momentum into into the current year. So, you know, Q2 was the best ever start uh, um, the industry has ever had. And now Q2 was actually the highest grossing quarter um, ever uh, that the industry has, has had. So um, between uh, traditional casino gaming, uh, sports betting and iGaming, the industry generated uh, $14.8 billion in Q2. Uh, which is up almost 9% uh, year over year and uh, up about 3% from the previously best quarter, which was uh, set in, in Q4 of last year. Um, and looking at you know the first half of 2022 uh, uh, as a whole, uh, we now stand at more that, than $29 billion. Uh, so that's uh, tracking about 18% ahead where we were uh, this time last year, which remember was was at that point the best year uh, ever so uh, the industry yeah. is certainly uh, doing well like even as we're coming up towards these tougher comparisons you know like at this point last year the the, the industry was really firing on all cylinders and, and basically all covid era uh, restrictions had been lifted so the thought has certainly been that you know as we get into these tougher comps like the the rate of growth will uh, you know uh, unsurprisingly uh, uh, kind of level out and, and we'll reach a more stable point and we do see that uh in the the month over month number so like the uh the the year over year growth in within q2 like uh, uh slowed from uh, i think it was 13 percent in in uh, april to to about 11 percent in may to uh, about three percent in june so we are seeing that kind of slow down but that's really re it's reflective of the strength that we had last year particularly the, the kind of uh, from march last year uh, but also uh, on the kind of normalization stabilization that that we're seeing in the market so um so really unprecedented yeah. unprecedented growth that we're yeah. seeing in, um over here that's that's great and and if you would would break it down like what is driving this growth is it online is it land base is it both yeah so so that's the really you know exciting part about this like there you know you hear a lot of talk about sports betting all the time but in fact uh land-based uh, gaming, so slots and table games at physical commercial casinos also had their, their best ever quarter in Q2, right. um, which was uh, up, you know, uh, a substantial amount uh, from, from last year as well. Uh, similarly, um, um, iGaming uh, had a very strong quarter, uh, came in at about 1.2 billion. Uh, sports betting um, generated uh, about 1.4 billion in Q2, which is a little bit slower than than uh, you know the, the, the last few quarters, but um, that's also very expected as as the summer and and, and um, 
the months of Q2, uh, you usually have the slowest uh, sports calendar over here. So, so that's in line with the uh, seasonal trends that we usually see. There, there is this uh, speculation in the industry. As long as I've been in this industry since uh, like 2004 or something like that, there's always been this speculation. Is the agami industry recession proof? And uh, uh, especially, especially talking about the, the digital part of the industry. Uh, obviously, 2008 uh, was not a great year for Vegas and, and the land-based casinos. But um, have you, uh, like, what are your thoughts here, Anton? Have you seen any in indications uh, how the industry will fare? Obviously, ec the economic times are not the best right now. Inflation is, is rampant. Uh, we are facing a potential potential stagflation. Although the uh, the inflation numbers that were released in the U.S. the other day looked positive, if you can call whatever eight point eight percent inflation positive, but, right? Uh, the markets reacted well. Um, mm. What's uh, what's your thoughts here? Like, how how will the industry uh, um, fare? Do you think in in these kind of uncertain times? Because so far it seems like uh, all the indications are that the industry is doing great despite the economic mm. downturn. Yeah, uh, no, no, certainly that that's kind of what we're seeing so far, uh, and you know we we certainly you know ch uh, f um, face the same macroeconomic challenges that 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 uh, is a burden on, on other industries. You know whether that's supply chains and labor shortages, um, like that, you know that's always in the background. And um, but when it comes to to pure performance uh, in terms of what revenue we're generating, yeah, we we haven't really seen. Uh, a substantial slowdown um, as of as of yet, uh, as of the time of recording, and I mean, like in historically, the, the industry has been fairly, uh, um, you know, uh, inflation proof. Certainly, like uh, not really seeing much of an effect uh, um, from you know swings in, in gas price, for example. Uh, but we are, you know, we we've never seen this. We haven't seen this this level of inflation, for example, for for four decades. So, you know, we've seen some recent interviews with some of our CEOs that they have reported like little in terms of change in consumer behavior due to uh, due to these macroeconomic factors. But but uh, you know, they they are certainly keeping an eye on 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 what the future impact uh, might be. Um, you know, we also like kind of well, we're at the tail end of. The uh, Q2 uh, earnings uh, reporting season, and you know we, they certainly indicate that. Uh, well, look at Vegas for example. You mentioned that Vegas was certainly suffered from in 2008 and, and nine, uh, but Vegas is as strong uh, as ever, uh, and the expectation is, is seems to be that that's going to continue into the fall as, as more we're seeing more group returns and uh, you know international travel has, hasn't really. Uh, picked up uh, yet, and uh, you know Vegas had, or Nevada as a whole, had its highest uh, highest uh, grossing quarter as well, like in in Q2, and and also if you look at uh, regional markets, uh, most regional casinos are also uh, reporting impressive numbers for Q2, um, but um, you know well, it's certainly things that we are we are tracking, and and here at AGA we. Uh, a year ago, we started uh, something we're calling the, the uh, Outlook Gaming Outlook Index, where um, we're looking at a number of factors kind of shaping uh, future expectations. Um, but and the 
the kind of most interesting part of that is that we we conduct a survey with our member CEOs uh, to to kind of get a sense of where they see the the industry and their companies going in over the, the next uh, quarter or two. Uh, so we last did this or released this back in April. Uh, the sentiments that they expressed there uh, was that the industry was certainly in a very good place, uh, but that they were expecting somewhat of a, a slowdown. Uh, that's also panned out uh, very close to, to those uh, those predictions. Uh, we will be coming out with a new uh, outlook uh, here in October. So certainly uh, stay tuned for that and to get a, a sense of what the industry thinks is going to happen towards the, the latter half of this year. Brilliant, Anton. Um, exciting to hear the industry is, is doing well so far. And I think once and for all, we'll get a good uh, indication here during these times, uh, how the industry will, will fare during this uh, kind of uncertain times. Uh, I, I want to, uh, to move over kind of the last point of today, which is uh, looking at the state level and regulation. And as a starting point here, you know, there's been a lot of excitement since the start of the pandemic, let's say, of uh, newly regulated states. And um, uh, we've seen so far, obviously, uh, from an online sports betting perspective, uh, a positive uh, movement within regulation where 30-something states are mm -hmm. on our regulated and um, many operators are active in those uh, markets. However, on the um, iGaming side of things, uh, only, what is it, only like six states are currently uh, regulated uh, on, on uh, online online gambling on our gaming side. Um, so first of all, I would like to ask: um, are, Did you guys expect this slow rollout of of iGaming specifically um, on state level? And then secondly, as well, what's your expectation on on the current states that have not yet uh, become regulated as we move forward? Um. Yeah, so when it comes to, to iGaming, um, as you said, there are certainly or currently six states that allow for full uh, online casino gaming. Uh, additionally, seventh Nevada allow only online poker okay. rides, but they don't really break that out in their reporting. So, so for all intents and purposes, we're we're, uh, we're counting six states. So, I think when looking at the kind of the the legislative momentum, like it's important to uh, to look at what are the, the um, you know, what sort of, of stakeholders are involved in these uh, different processes, right? So when uh, when you look at sports betting, what has happened there, you see at this point certainly that there is a, a very large ecosystem of stakeholders that are uh, are backing uh, the legalization of, of sports betting in a, a lot of states. So so not only do you have like the traditional uh, casino industry that sees sports betting as an additional way to, to engage with their consumers, um, as we talked about before, but you also have uh, sports leagues, uh, sports leagues and teams uh, locally in different states that see the benefits, you know, in certain states, you, you even see sports books directly, you know, uh, um, next door to, to, uh, to certain arenas. Uh, you also have media companies uh, getting involved, um, seeing sports betting as a way to, to you know, increase the value of their their broadcasts. But you know, in some cases, even uh, um, partnering with, with operators to develop their own, uh, you know, uh, branded uh, sports books. Like you have Fox Bets, for example. Like 
um, uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, likewise, and and you know we have some other entities that are kind of looking at getting involved more, like ESPN and even Disney. Um, so you know there's a big uh, uh, big ecosystem uh, with an interest there. You don't really see that uh, to the same extent uh, when it comes to iGaming. That's that sort of alliance uh, coming coming in. Uh, you certainly, you know, we have kind of seen in, in some cases that there are more more concerns uh, around RG uh, when it, tied to iGaming that we ne don't necessarily uh, uh, we see when it comes to other verticals. Even though, of, as we know, like iGaming uh, enables you to to kind of track behavior, spending, time time gaming in 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 uh, you know. A way that can can be really be leveraged to to kind of safeguard uh, responsible play, um, but but yeah, um, I think that's you can find like a lot of the the, the background to, to why we're seeing this this kind of mismatch in 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 pace. Uh, but I mean, like having said that, like you know, sports betting is, is certainly certainly has a high profile, but but. As we know, like iGaming has a, a much higher margin. So, like in in the first half of this year, like iGaming generated uh, 2.4 billion dollars. Uh, so that's, as we said, only between six different states. Meanwhile, uh, sports betting uh, grossed just over three billion, so just 0.6 billion more. But that's spread over uh, well 26 um, states that have commercial uh, sports betting, and that report that so. Uh, so iGaming has much uh, a bigger potential uh, growth. It's a much bigger potential growth area for the industry, uh, but but it's tougher to roll out. But probably in the long term, uh, iGaming well, iGaming will uh, has huge potential. Interesting. Uh, and what's your expectation now going forward, Anton? Even from a sports betting uh, perspective, uh, are there any states uh, that are uh, currently close to uh, to regulating? Uh, what's your expectations here in the next, say, one to three years? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Starting with iGaming again, like we didn't really see any uh, any momentum uh, this this round of of state uh, sessions. Um, there were there were seven states that that um, considered some form of iGaming legalization, and none of them really made much headway. Uh, I mean, we've seen some uh, some moves in recent years, like Connecticut was the one state that legalized it last year, and uh, the year before in 2020, uh, Michigan uh, did the same. Uh, so, you know, we don't really make predictions about how many states will legalize by what 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 state. There are several other uh, you know entities that that do that. Uh, but when it comes to sports betting, uh, I mean, we're we're at a point now where. Uh, as you mentioned, like uh, more than 30 states have legalized it. And actually, just yesterday, at the time of recording here, uh, Governor Baker in, in Massachusetts signed the legislation up there. So, so with that, we're at uh, 36 states plus uh, plus the District of Columbia that have uh, legalized sports betting in some form. Uh, and with that, uh, about nearly two-thirds of all uh, American adults now live in a state where they can they can uh, they can bets legally in in their home jurisdiction so you know with that there is a there is um, fewer states remaining uh with potential to to, to legalize um you know we had three states this year that did it with uh, including um, 
uh, including Massachusetts. Uh, we had Maine and Kansas, and, and Ohio was kind of at the tail end of of last year. Um, so and so we're still waiting for all of them to to kind of uh, get up and running. Um, maybe towards the end of this year, uh, maybe uh, into 2023. Um, so and we still have you know one um, one motion still uh, on the you know, in play uh, at the end of this year with California looking to get, allow their voters to uh, to decide the future of sports betting in that state. Uh, so, you know, again, uh, trying to predict what, what the remaining states will do is, is uh, I'll leave to others. Uh, but, you know, we, we've certainly come a very long way in, in, in a very short amount of time. And, you know, it's very exciting that, that um, sports bettors around the country now uh, have opportunities to bet safely that they didn't um yeah five years ago brilliant Anton and uh, so my my sister and her family lives in in California so I'm going to be there during uh during the fall to uh, uh to check out live the referendum that is taking place there in in uh, November of course so it would be interesting to see the the, the turnout of that um but brilliant uh, thank, thank you so much Anton for uh, sharing your time with me uh, here today and give some insights and updates on on the, the the current priorities and updates from the American Gaming Association it's a pleasure to have you on and um, I hope to have you on soon again pleasure to be here thanks for having me